Hi, Christy. Hello, everyone. This is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad you're here. Today, I have things to tell you that I don't want to tell you. I have things to tell you that I don't want to have. I have stories that I have that I don't want to have. There are things that I have to tell you that I don't want to have inside of me at all, but I have to let them out. Yesterday, day before yesterday at this point, um, we went out into the woods, my wonderful girlfriend and I, with two of our other girlfriends, went out into the woods and I was showing these ladies how to forage for wild mushrooms. I was also showing them where to get wild spring water. The spring was dry still, the snow is still frozen it seems, even though it was raining. And we went out into the woods to go get some mushrooms and we had a really nice time walking around in the quiet forest and sharing some laughs with each other, mostly in quiet. But on our way back, we're driving on the highway between Sisters and Bend, and it's a two-lane highway, and it's very busy. We drive very fast on it, and <clears throat> at some point, we saw a little dog on the road. I slowed down and moved over as to not hit the dog. It was like some kind of little chihuahua thing. And Alicia says, as we pass it, Alicia says, Ari, you have to turn around. And seeing the dog in the road, my first instinct was to continue driving. Because um, I didn't want to see what I thought would likely happen. I didn't want to be involved in this whole thing. And so I said, Alicia, what, do you, what are we going to do? She says, we're going to help them. And so I pulled the car over. And right where I decided to turn the car around, there was a woman in the road, like really distraught, like so obviously, she was so obviously the owner of this little dog that was on the road, right? Alicia rolls down the window and says, is that your dog? And the woman says, yes. And Alicia says, we're going to help you, which was a incredibly profound foreshadowing of what was about to take place. And I stepped on the gas pedal and we started heading back towards where we had last seen the dog. And as we got to where we had seen the dog last, there was another car pulled over. And so I kind of pulled up to them and I said, did you get the dog? And she says, no, the dog is back behind us. And so Alicia and our friend Hannah jump out of the car and they start going towards, you know, back towards the woman trying to find this little dog that had just been on the highway. At the same time, I'm in the car, I have the hazard lights on, and I'm reversing down the highway towards where we saw the dog, right? A couple seconds later, we see the dog, and the dog is running on the shoulder of the road, out of harm's way, and still very alive, and we're glad to see that. And so we all start running a little faster, driving in reverse a little bit faster. I kind of pull onto the road, onto the, onto the, into the lane of the highway, hoping that my flashers would indicate to traffic 
that there was something going on and that they would slow down, right? Alicia is running along the side of the highway and I'm further ahead than her driving in reverse. And at this point, Alicia starts yelling at me, Ari, slow down. And I look at the dog and the dog seems to be afraid and the dog seems to be running away from me or from us or towards its owner. And the dog being afraid takes a hard turn, runs across the highway, and all of us can't help but watch the dog be run over by a car. And we watched this little dog get tired twice by some kind of Subaru. Alicia screamed. I put my hand, my face in my hands. I just stopped the car and I just put my face in my hands. It was so surreal. It was like... It fucking hurts my heart to tell you this. It hurts my heart to have this story to tell. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And at the moment, I didn't think I could do anything. I didn't think that... I was immediately overwhelmed. I was immediately overwhelmed with the thought that, no, I can't, I can't do anything right now. I need to just sit here with my face in my hands. The worst case scenario, as I thought, would be that the dog is actually alive and in some kind of disfigured agony. As I opened my eyes back up and I, pop, I brought my face out of my hands and I looked towards the road where the dog was, my girlfriend is now running across the highway and has picked up this dog. And she carried the dog off the highway and onto the side of the road. So I shut the car off, I got out, I crossed the highway, and I started walking towards her and the dog. By the time I got to them, what I was most fearing, what went through my head was essentially that, of course I have a very sharp knife in my pocket, but as a person who's grown up in rural Oregon and who's grown up carrying firearms in their vehicles for myriad reasons, what went through my mind was, I have a very sharp knife in my pocket, but I don't have a firearm. And what do I do if I come up onto this dog and it's disfigured and in agony? And that's a really fucking hard situation that I've actually dealt with before. When I was 17, I hit a puppy, ran under the bumper of my truck. And when I got back to it, it was wheezing in the road. That was a very, very hard situation for me as a kid. I typically at that age in my life, I always had a gun in my car. And that day I had been shooting and I had taken my guns out of my car. 
and that was a time I really needed it which leads you to a harder decision of what do you do with that gun there and a wheezing puppy in the road and your gun is it actually something that you can justify taking that dog's life I didn't have it I didn't have the choice either way and so I was forced to basically sit there with that dog as it wheezed to death as I got to this dog the other day with my girlfriend there she was she was sitting on the ground on her butt and she had taken her hands and she had one hand on the dog's heart and she had one hand on the dog's head and she was just comforting it all the while the woman the owner of the dog was clearly distraught because even though she was a few hundred meters away at the time that the dog was hit by the car as traffic came to a slow creep past the scene of the incident I think that she gathered what had happened and I think that she had already been mourning the dog from the moment we saw her she had known that her little unruly dog untethered running near the highway was a situation that doesn't end well. And the chance that her getting her little dog off of the highway alive is a... is a... uh, not very likely scenario, and she was right about that. That was also what I was afraid of when Alicia says, you have to turn around, and I said, what are you going to do? My somewhat cynical thought was... I'm worried about what could possibly transpire here, and I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it, and I don't want to deal with the aftermath of that. But when Alicia had told the woman that we were going to help her, she was right. But the type of help that we were going to offer was something vastly darker and vastly harder to do than just catching the dog. Catching the dog would be easy to deal with that would be an easy outcome that would be a really simple help to give but being a death doula for the dog being someone to hold the dog as the dog died being someone to hold the woman as she came across her dead dog being someone to hold space for the grief And the surreal moment of this woman's life as she came across a group of strangers who were praying for and holding space for her dog to die on the side of the highway, who had just witnessed it, just like she did, was a type of help that we were giving that woman that we never wanted to give her. These are things no one wants to see. These are really fucking hard things to deal with. I have a dog. I love my dog so much. There are a few different ways I could take this. There's a few different things that just were so incredibly profound for me. One, the most visceral lesson that I had from this thing was 
that the and actually it's a kind of continuance i did a dmt journey about a month ago and one of the most powerful realizations i had was how thin the veil is between existence and non-existence and alicia and hannah and chelsea and i all had a very powerful experience of the fragility of life that day how fragile that is how beautiful it is but how fragile it is I also was tremendously impacted by the maturity and presence and power of my girlfriend. In the moment that I put my face into my hands as I, after I watched the dog be hit by the car, I put my face into my hands thinking that there was nothing I could do, that I couldn't deal with it, that I was overwhelmed. By the time my face came out of my hands, my girlfriend had already continued her action. She had just watched the dog get run over, had immediately gone into the highway, gotten the dog, brought it to the side of the road, and had showed up, shown up in an incredibly potent presence to show up for the dog and for life at large and for the woman who had watched her pet be killed. Alicia had her hand on the dog's heart when it stopped beating. And when the woman came over and wept on her knees in front of the dog, apologizing to the dog, Alicia began to console the woman without a single lapse, not a single second of hesitation or a lapse of presence. And so I cried that day for the dog and I cried for myself as a dog owner and I cried for the woman and her loss and her grief and I cried for my girlfriend and our friends who had to watch it and I cried for the woman who hit the dog and I also cried just for gratitude that I have this level of woman in my life. I also had a deep gratitude for my life and for my friends, for my girlfriend, for my dog. And I also had a deep gratitude that my life is so vastly void of tragedy. My life is so joyful and blissful and I have such an opportunity to create the new world and I feel so empowered and inspired and my life is for the most part void of tragedy. And I'm so grateful for that. That is a gratitude that brought me to tears that day. And so there's this idea about the partners we choose and the people we choose to be around, whether that is with your primary partner or with your friends. But I would postulate that 
it's best that we choose people who inspire us, who pull us up, who, if we were to continue in the habits and ways that we know don't serve us, that they wouldn't be around us. That we want to surround ourselves with people who demand us to evolve intellectually, spiritually, habitually, personally, interpersonally. This is absolutely the case with my girlfriend Alicia. She would not be she would not stick around if I played out the conditioning that I had gleaned over the first 20 years of my life. If I had not matured from my second decade into my third decade, she would not hang out with me. Let alone anchor her identity in me. There's another thing that comes up here for me because yesterday I went on a bike ride with one of my best friends who we're essentially discussing the idea of veganism and the ethics of meat consumption. If you've been listening to this podcast at all, you've known that in the last month I've interviewed Shane Ward, who's an Australian permaculturalist and regenerative land use expert. Shane has very in deep insights as to what is wrong with our food systems and the atrocities of factory farming, how they play into climate change, how they play into our own psychology, how they play into our culture, our society. And I think that this is a vastly underappreciated point in regards to the ethics of meat consumption. I think that we tend to either talk about it from the life of the animal or we talk about it from the impact on the earth. But we don't typically talk about it from the impact that it has on our own psyches, on our own energies, on our own worldview. And I think that most of us, when we encounter veganism, it is a very confronting topic because it tends to call into question the ways that we have been for our entire lives, the way that we have operated that was handed down to us. And I think that it's vastly more easy, vastly easier to justify the way that we've been for our entire lives than to take a very clean look at the things that we take part in. And I think that from an objective standpoint, the abominations that factory farming represent are more gruesome than anything that happened in the Middle Ages. The Middle Ages represent a very dark time in civilization where we lost a lot of our ethics and a lot of our morality. And I think that the things that happened there pale in comparison to what happens in a feedlot on any given day. Shane Ward, the permaculturalist that I've had on this podcast, makes the claim that we actually don't need to be vegans from an absolute standpoint, that animals are an integral part of the ecosystem 
of the ecology, of the life cycle of matter in our environment, and that if you were to remove the animals from the system, then you would have to do that job yourself or bring in some other means to do it. And so I like that perspective and think it's very nuanced, but I also think that the vast majority of the animal protein that's consumed in the world is created through what is a absolute abomination of our ethics, of our morality, of our sense-making, of our economy. The amount of money that flows through feedlots is disgusting. And to take a really hard look at our own involvement in that, to take a hard look in our own diet, the things that we like. Our identities are so closely tied to our diets. Isn't that weird? Literally, we identify with what we eat. You are what you eat, right? In a literal sense, the things that you consume the sunlight that you take in, the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the food that you eat literally is the matter that makes up your body. Which makes me mostly peanut butter, but it also, you are what you eat is also important to look at from a spiritual perspective from a from a from a broader perspective if you eat gruesome brutal products then you are gruesome brutal violent you don't want to be these things we need you to not be these things we need you to be more aware we need you to be aware enough of what you are to manage yourself in a mature enough way that you remove the violence, the brutality, the unconsciousness from yourself so that the world becomes less violent, less brutal, less gruesome, less unconscious, more conscious, more loving, more present, right? From an integral perspective, your own self-evolution happens on, in every subject. It happens with the things that you read. It happens with the things that you say. It happens with the things that you buy. It happens with the things that you eat. Your personal evolution has no bounds on your behavior. Your behavior in every single aspect is effervescent of your own evolution. If the dog on the highway's life had value, if the story of the dog being hit by a car in front of its owner tears your heart open like it tore mine open, then you have to ask yourself, what is the difference between that dog's life and the cow's life? What is the difference in value, in experience. Because the thought of 
the dog's terror running across the highway in confusion and fear, only to be struck by something that it can't even comprehend and experience a terror-filled last moment is a painful, painful thought. And to think that we would use our humanity to try to avoid that at our own cost, that we would fucking run out into the highway screaming and yelling, please don't hit this dog with your car and fuck have to witness it with our very eyes. This is how we are using our humanity to try to alleviate suffering in animals. Literally, like, it is a virtuous thing to want to alleviate the suffering of people and animals of sentient life on earth, right? But that is such an obvious thing when you think about someone's pet on a highway. But our food systems are so disjointed from our awareness that the feedlots that commit atrocities on an exponential level from what we witnessed on the highway, we fucking pay those places with our dollars. We pay those places with our dollars. Are you aware of the things that you buy that give dollars to people who commit atrocities? If you were to become aware that some product that you purchase on a regular basis gives money to people who operate sex trafficking rings, would that be enough for you to not purchase that product? Would the potential suffering of these women and children in these sex trafficking rings, would the alleviation of their suffering be enough for you to change your habits from the things that you like, maybe even the things that you like so much that you identify with? And if so, how far are you willing to take that ideology? How far are you willing to take that mental experiment that says, I will modify my behavior to eliminate suffering in sentient beings. How far does that go? I think it ought go to not buying dairy products or meat products at the grocery store because there is no grocery store that has animal products that are not factory farmed. And factory farming is an abomination of humanity. It is something that has to end now. It is destroying the earth. It is destroying our integrity. If we think that we love each other, if we think that we are one, if we think that we need to stop fighting wars, if we think that we need to stop hitting, hitting children and shaming gays and all this shit, oh my God, how far... How far can you believe in justice and disjoint the justice of some other sentient being? Man, we are so disconnected. We are so out of integrity. We are so fucking out of integrity because I know 
that if you were to have, if you were to ever go to a feedlot, if you were to think, are these animals better off in this feedlot or not existing? You would say, don't let these animals exist. We cannot keep breeding animals to just suffer in this environment only to perpetuate our own ecological destruction, the destruction of our integrity, the destruction of our humanity. Isn't that a strange concept? We can literally think of our behaviors as either destroying our humanity or creating it. Humanity, right? Humanity is the act of being humane. We call it humanity. Humanity is so often misconceptualized as the existence of humans, like the human race is humanity. But no, no, no. Humanity is the embodiment of being humane. And so many philosophers have said, yeah, we're not even there yet. We're not. We haven't even reached some kind of humanity or civilization, being civilized. If you ever go to a fucking feedlot, I would... You would be hard-pressed to make a case that that is some kind of civilized or humane procedure. Fuck, man. Fuck. Watching the dog die die was very hard on me. It was hard on all of us, and it is just uh, the tip of the iceberg of trying to alleviate suffering and sentient beings worldwide starting with your pets and ending with what you eat. I highly encourage you to take a hard look at the things that you do, the things that you give your money to, because this is the future of humanity. The future of humanity is dependent on whether you will close your eyes to the things that you do or whether you are willing to open your eyes at a hard, hard look whether you're willing to modify your behavior on the behalf of other beings, whether they be humans, dogs, or cows. If you think that this kind of conversation is important, consider sharing these podcasts with the people that you make sense with, the network of people that you think with. It's not just for anyone. This kind of conversations aren't for anyone. There's people who are not ready for this kind of conversation. I don't encourage you to share it with them to try to rub their nose in it. I encourage you to share this kind of conversation with people who are looking to open their eyes. If you think this is the kind of conversation we should be having, consider donating to support this podcast. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. Really appreciate all the people who have been donating. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Peace, peace, peace. Looking for peace on earth, huh? It's fucking a lot higher goal than we've been aiming lately. Anyways, have a good day. I love you. See you on the next one.